0: Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Morning, church. Morning. Merry Christmas. If I were to ask you to think about some of the greatest, blockbuster movies, stories, novels, whatever have you, the greatest stories ever told, ever seen on screen, ever read about. And I ask you to think, what is is one thing that those stories center around? What is one thing that makes them so attractive to us as the consumer, that reason we're reading, the reason we're watching, the reason we're listening to these stories? Some of you might say, well, love. Love. Love is the thing that centers around. Many of you over the next few weeks, maybe you've already done it, you've saturated yourself with Hallmark movies all around this thing of love. And you take in and in and in and in and in. Some of you might say, well, adventure. Uh, The the most epic Christmas movie is Die Hard. We need that. We need the the thrill. We need the action. This is what it is all about. But I think ultimately... Some of the greatest stories ever told are arguably centered around one thing, good versus evil. I mean, think about it. Think about some of the greatest. I mean, we're we're consumed as Americans with with our hero movies. Think back to to the late 70s and Star Wars comes out, and it's all about good versus bad. We, we, We think about the Lord of the Rings. And we're dropped into this thing. And all of a sudden, this, we're dropped into the middle of this story. And it's all about the good versus bad. Even, even today in, in Marvel movies, the Marvel universe centers around all of these individual characters who come together to center around defeating evil. The greatest stories ever told. Yes, action. Yes, love. But ultimately, it comes down to good versus evil. And what's interesting about some of these stories Going back to Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, when we are introduced to them, we are dropped right in the middle of the story. I mean, for those of you who were around for the first episodes that were released of Star Wars, you were given episode four right there in the middle of the story. You weren't given the backstory. You weren't given the context. You were just all of a sudden, boom. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about any of these movies, so forgive me for that. But I do know that you're dropped, even Lord of the Rings, you're dropped right there in the middle of the story. Knowing that there's, well, somehow we got here, but there's something so much more before this. Friends, over the next five weeks, actually, to be honest with you, over the next several months, we will be jumping in to a story in which we, many of us, we we don't know the context beforehand. We're going to be dropped right there in the middle of what's going on for the next several months. From now until Resurrection Sunday on Easter, we will be walking through the book of Luke. Personally, I'm very, very excited about this. Now, we're not going to hit every single chapter. We're not going to hit every single verse. But as we jump into the book of Luke, we are going to find ourselves in the middle of a story. The only difference is compared to all these other stories I was talking about. This story involves you and me. This story is true. It is the ultimate good versus evil. Even that is an understatement as to what we are going to be diving into. And the thing about it, friends, is that in many ways, that Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and whatever other movies there might be, there are prequels and there are sequels. And we will learn how the prequels will feed into where we're at. We're going to get bits and pieces of that all throughout. But most importantly is that we are going to come to this understanding that you and I are involved in the sequel. In fact, you and I are living out the sequel right now. You and I have been cast into a role by God himself to play a particular, individual, unique role in this good versus evil story. My question to you is, as we walk through the book of Luke, do you know your role? Do you know your part? Do you know the lines before you get up on stage, before everyone can see you? Do you know the role in which God has cast specifically and uniquely for you? You know, when I first started preaching and even Still today, every now and then, I'll have nightmares about getting on this stage and having no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are saying, we already see this in you. <laughs> and these dreams are so real. These dreams, in the midst of them, I'll wake up in a panic, like, oh, oh, wait, no, 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 okay, I got, I got that, I got this. But in the midst of these dreams, as I'm, as I'm imagining myself walking up here and I'm looking all at you and I'm, This idea of me not knowing my role causes complete panic. Friends today, imagine yourselves walking onto this stage, being told you have a role in this story, in this grand drama, in this epic narrative. You have a role. Do you know your lines? Does this cause a bit of anxiety for you? And as you get up on this stage, we have this tendency, in the midst of not understanding what our role is, we start blaming the director or the producer or whoever cast the roles to us. We start saying, No, 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 you didn't give me my lines. You didn't give me enough time. You didn't help me out. Friends, today, in the midst of this story of good versus evil, we are given our lines, we are given our roles, we are told exactly who we are to be in the midst of this epic drama. Good versus evil. But in the same ways that as we go back and we see Star Wars and we see Lord of the Rings and when we begin to see the prequel to the story, we begin to say, oh, yeah, wait a minute. We start making connections from the prequels to the story and then we see it all in the sequels. In the same way that we are involved in the sequels of this grand story, we go back to the story beforehand to help us understand our roles. But friends, so often we have limitations each and every one of us, regardless of where you are at, in your walk with God, in your faith. Maybe you haven't even come to faith yet. We have limitations, emotional, physical, mental, whatever it may be. There are things in our lives that we come to understand that maybe we're not even aware of, but we have limitations that then say, we're going to hold back, we're not ready for the stage yet, we can't do it. And these limitations, they may be what cause the stress, the anxiety, the anger, the bitterness And we look to God and say, how could you do this to me? How could you throw me in the midst of this stage of life? Tell me this is who I'm supposed to be, but I have no idea who I'm supposed to be or what to do. And we blame God for these limitations. We blame God for our lack of understanding. We blame God because we can't do it on our own. So therefore, we're just going to go trek our own path. Whatever these limitations are, they're specific to you. And you might be sitting here, well, I don't have any limitations. I'm doing just fine. Friends, I'm telling you right now, each and every one of us, in the midst of this story of good versus evil, none of us have a perfect faith. Each one of us has a faith that may be growing, but none of us have a perfect faith. Therefore, it then stands the reason that there is something Something that we need to continue to grow in. And many times, Satan would have us believe that we're perfect and we're good and we're unaware of those limitations. Throughout the course of the next five weeks, during this Advent part of Luke, I would encourage you. How are you reflecting on, thinking about, meditating? How are you listening to others? What is the thing that is limiting you from living out your role to the fullest potential? What is your limitation? Friends, today we're going to be introduced to characters. We're going to be introduced to, to plot twists. We're going to see love. We're going to see suspense. We're going to see everything involved in the book of Luke. But friends, do not forget, you have a very specific role that when we read to the book of Luke, I would encourage you, which characters resonate with you? Which characters motivate you? Which characters are you saying, yep, that's me? Because in the midst of reading about them, we then learn how God develops them, grows them, and then uses them in this amazing, amazing narrative. So in case you haven't figured out, we're going to be in the book of Luke for the next five weeks. But friends, as we go through today, as we walk through everything that God would have for us, as we understand that, yes, each and every one of us has a limited understanding of how God wants to use us, we need to ask. We need to ask one question throughout today how should we respond to god in the midst of our limitations in order to best be used by him to best be used by god in the midst of our limitations whatever they may be so oftentimes we 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 think that well this was an unfair hand that god dealt to us that therefore i should be entitled to not having to do anything because this is simply unfair Again, it may be emotional, it may be physical, it may be mental, it may be the way that you were raised, it may be your your current context, it may be financial, whatever it is, whatever that limitation may be, in the midst of that, how should we respond to God daily in order to be best used by Him? Today, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, and this is what we're told. you know, from the very beginning. See, this is this is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing about scriptures that, in the very beginning, we are told, "Hey, here is the setting. Here is the context. Here is the backstory." Right away, we're told, "In the time of Herod, king of Judea." Well, the readers of that day, in the first century, they would have remembered Herod, and if you've been around the church for a year or so, you would have heard of King Herod. And Herod, uh, many times when we hear about him, we immediately think of evil, evil incarnate. He is this bad man, in which he was. But I'll also tell you this. He was a powerful man, and he was a genius. He was a powerful genius who was also very paranoid, and he was a man that had one mission. I'm going to destroy anybody who gets in the way of what I am doing. Herod was this amazing um, visionary. He, he developed Israel. And he, he built things. And he just made things spectacular. But in the midst of that, he killed off anybody that he believed to be against him. So this is the first character. This is the antagonist, if you will, that we're introduced to. We're told we're in Judea. This is right there where Jerusalem is. Right there in the middle of Israel. And then we're given our first protagonist. The first good guys and we're not told about the evil or the good yet quite yet but we're told okay here's Herod and they would have understood this man to be evil so it just stands the reason that the next two people would be would be the good guys and we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth they're israelites israelites they are as insignificant as one could be in the midst of the world at that time and they are priests they are workers for god In the midst of being workers for God, we are told that they are childless. So right away, we are given this limitation. And to be childless in the first century is to have almost no purpose in this world. To be a woman and to be childless is to have almost zero purpose in that world. Can you imagine the limitation? Can you imagine the, the pain that not only Elizabeth, but also her husband, Zechariah, would have felt as they tried for years and decades to have a child, a child who would then live out and provide as they would get older, to have a son who would take on the name of, of Zechariah and say, always go without. This is the limitation that we are given from the beginning. And yet here's what's interesting. In the midst of them being childless, in the midst of them seemingly having no purpose, they remain blameless before the Lord. They are, in many ways, the goody two-shoes of the first century. Where Herod is over here, he's just paving his own way, he's just running after his own thing and killing anybody who gets in his way. Here, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth who has nothing, who gets nothing for their own, who who has... They're unable to do anything their own way, to get what they want, and yet they continue to live just in the way that God has called them. Not so concerned about what they can do to to manipulate the situation, but to simply continue running after God. They are the underdogs. And in the midst of them being underdogs, they continue to keep an open door for God. They allowed God to continue to use them for the rest of the world, for the rest of their people as priests. By continuing to serve God, they allowed an open door. How often t- do we think about, well, God closed this door, God opened this door, God closed this door, God opened this door, and we, we, as we look at our life, well, God opened this door for me. This is why I did it. Well, God closed that door, so I'm not going to keep on moving over there. Friends, what about us allowing a door for God? We're told, hey, he's knocking at the door. It's for us to open it and allow him in. We don't think the fact that we are the ones who often close God off. We, don't, we forget about the fact that we're the ones who keep the door closed on God, not allowing him to move in our lives. Because again, we're here trying to live out our rules that he's given us, and because of our lack of understanding, we just say our limitations are because of God. And we blame God for our lack of understanding. We blame God for things not going right in our life. We blame God for our limitations. And yet we see here Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age, they continue to live for God, allowing an open door for him. Yet how often when we face a limitation, how often do we attempt to change that limitation? How often do we try to become the Herods of our lives, saying, you know what? I'm done being the goody-two-shoe. I'm going to take what I deserve. I'm going to become the Herod. I'm going to pave my own way. I'm going to become successful. And in many ways, we may be successful in the eyes of the Lord. Herod was extremely successful in his own eyes. And yet he was constantly paranoid and evil. He couldn't stand the idea of anyone getting too close to him because they would take over his rule. But, friends, what we have to understand is that our limitations are not a result of God smiting us. Our limitations are a result of sin in the world. We are the cause for the limitations. Now, you might be saying, well, Justin, I have this physical hindrance. I have this mental thing going on. I have this, I did nothing to deserve this. Yes, but, friends, it is sin, sin, sin. Sin from centuries past, from all the way to the beginning to to all the way to eternity future. And, friends, there are none of us here who are sinless. Amen? Amen? We all have limitations for one reason or another, but it's not because of God, but rather it's because of sin and the world. And yet when we pursue God rather than our own ways like Herod, we then allow him an open door into our lives to do something extraordinary. Our God is not limited by sin in the world. He's in the business of redeeming sin to take what's so ordinary in our lives and make it extraordinary. Extraordinary. We need to stop blaming God for our limitations, our pains, our insecurities, and start tossing them to God to see what he will do in spite of our limitations. And this is what we see here. Friends, in this, in the, just as I had said before, we are jumping right into the middle of this story. We don't know who Zechariah or Elizabeth are. We don't know what's going on. We see this priest he's doing his priestly duty. He's burning incense, and we'll read more about this. And yet here's what's really amazing about this, is that we are told all throughout the Old Testament, and the Old Testament being the prequel to the story that we're currently in, we are told about women who are childless, and we are told how God uses them. And the readers of the first century, the readers would have understood this, because in many ways, what God has done in in the past, he's doing also in the present and in the future. Friends, what we need to understand is that through the Old Testament, God moved in amazing ways through women who were barren. We see Abraham and Sarah, the founders of God's people, the Israelites. Sarah was barren into a very old age and then all of a sudden she was with child. We see we see Joseph And again, you may not know all of these stories, and that's okay. We see Joseph, who was born through Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Jacob is truly the father of all of the Israelites. And Rachel had been barren. She had been without child, and yet we see Joseph, who played a significant role in saving God's people. If it weren't for Joseph, we wouldn't have the Israelites like we have the Israelites today in the first century. And then we see Samuel born through Hannah. Hannah was barren for so long and she was was persecuted and ridiculed for her lack of purpose by by the other other woman who was with child, who was having plenty of children. And so, in the midst of reading, in the midst of jumping into the middle of the story, if we were first century Jews, we we would have understood, wait a minute. In the midst of Herod right here, in the midst of Zechariah and Elizabeth, something big is about to happen we're just asking what is going to happen because we haven't been introduced to the good versus evil we don't know what's going on yet so let's continue starting in verse 8 once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense That was a lot. I get that. And in many ways, we're using language here that we have no idea what's going on. When Zechariah is a priest and he's, he's burning incense, all we need to know right now is that what Zechariah is doing, he's going before the Lord on behalf of the people, offering sacrifices, burning incense as a means of mediating between God and the Israelites. And in this time, in this time, we are told, we are told, that something big is happening. Something big has just happened. We know that they're old. We know that they're childless. And we know that they're blameless. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. It's just Zechariah in this room alone, in his altar, burning a candle and saying, what? And then all of a sudden, there's a man. And we're told he got afraid. Understandably so. I think I might be a little scared, too, if somebody just appeared out of nowhere, when it's just me in a room. But here's what's crucial about this, is that for the last 400 years, again, going back to the prequel, and we're sitting right here in the midst of the story, for the last 400 years, no one has heard from God. There has been no prophetic word. Nothing has happened. If we go to the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, all the way to when Luke is writing, it's been 400, approximately 400 years where nothing has happened from God. So Zechariah, he goes into this place thinking this is just going to be an ordinary thing that he's doing. He doesn't have any high expectations. He's going in, he's doing his priestly duty. The thing that, as they cast slots, he was chosen to do. Eeny, meeny, miny mo. Oh, Zechariah, it's your turn. See ya. And all of a sudden, something amazing happens. We are told that Zechariah, his, his prayers have been answered. Him and Elizabeth, they've been praying. Now, I would make the argument that. Zechariah, at this point in time in his life, was not praying for a son. He was not praying for a child. I mean, let's be real. If, if we are in our older ages, prayers have shifted. It just stands the logic, okay, if, if I'm not going to be given a son, then God, do something else for me. We don't know what this prayer is. And I would make the argument that it wasn't for a son, and we're going to see further on. But we are told that prayers have been answered. Prayers have been answered. Prayers in the midst of the ordinary life that Zechariah was living have been answered. Even at an old age, one of the things that we can take away from this, even at an old age, Zechariah had not stopped pursuing the will of God on his life. Even at an old age, in the midst of praying and struggling and praying and struggling and not receiving the answer to his prayer, in the midst of him just doing this ordinary thing, he was still allowing God to move in his heart. Praying bold prayers for God to move in the midst of the ordinary. Friends, how often in the midst of ordinary life, in the midst of ruts, in the midst of grooves, in the midst of things, well, we're just going about our days, do we get distracted and we forget that God is in the midst of the ordinary? We often limit God, we often limit our prayers, we often limit our interaction to only times of the extraordinary, such as the birth of a child, such as times of crisis, so as big moments in our lives, we limit our interaction with God to this moment, and yet in this time, we are told, hey, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. Your constant pursuit, your constant opening of the door to allow God to move, it is now ready. Your heart is now ready. In the midst, in the midst of knowing that there is something greater, we see Zechariah do the very thing that we were studying for the last eight weeks, the last two months. He was living for the greater. He was living into the disciplines. He had made his lifestyle a lifestyle of prayer, going to God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the limitations, and saying, God, I am ready for you to move through me. It just took however long it was. I'm imagining it was around 80 years old that Zechariah would have been praying this prayer. Who knows? All we know is that they were past the childbearing age. And yet, still, through this, we haven't seen, well, what's the issue? If this is this grand epic drama of good versus evil, why is this son being born? What's so special about this son? Well, this son is not just any son. We are told that this son would begin preparing a way for the Lord. It is in verses 16 and 17 that we see that we see something is going on, that God is moving. It's been 400 years since God has moved or spoken, and yet here, John, the son, would be the catalyst, the messenger, the one who would prepare before for the Lord. And it is the Lord. At the end of the day, friends, you and I, we have two choices. We can be consumed with the limitations that we see in our life. We can view our limitations right here instead of way out there. We can be consumed with saying, God, you are the reason that I can't live fully into my role. Or we can say, God, I know you're not the reason. And God, in spite of my limitations, I want you, I need you, I desire you to move in and through my life. It is the Lord. This is the reason for it all, for people to come back to him. And John would be the primary messenger for it. Friends, today in the midst of our limitations, imagine. I mean, Ben is talking about people who are giving to life Imagine if people said, you know what, I'm never actually going to see inside of a life room, so therefore I'm not going to give to life Imagine if if people just stopped giving to something or working towards something or doing something because they said, well, I'm not gonna see if I'm gonna have any impact on it, so therefore, I'm not gonna do anything. Imagine if teachers said, you know what, I'm not gonna see this kid graduate, so I'm just not gonna care about them in the midst of their context. I'm not gonna love on them because I'm not gonna see them 20 years from now. Imagine if we had had people in this world who just, if all of us were just saying, you know what, I'm not going to see my impact, my influence. I can't see past my limitations or past my insecurities. So therefore, I'm not going to live into that person's life. I'm not going to do this for them. I'm not going to do that because I don't believe God can actually move. Friends, I'm telling you right now, you would not be sitting here today. When we allow our limitations to paralyze us, our insecurities to paralyze us, what we believe to be the ways in which God can't move through us, we then stop allowing God to move in our hearts. But what we see through Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the midst of their limitation, they never gave up hope. They never gave up and said, you know what, forget it, I'm done. God never gave us a child in the logical time frame, so therefore we must have zero purpose. But what we see here is that it just took a lifetime of prayer a lifetime of them saying, God, God, we want this door available to you to be even bigger in our lives. And it took all of those decades for that door in their heart to be made wider and wider and wider to then be given the, one of the greatest responsibilities the world would ever know. Friends, how are you praying through your limitations? How are you allowing God to work in your heart? What we have to begin to understand is that bold prayers are big doors for a bountiful God to move in ways that are bigger than our prayers and expectations and hopes. So often we live into our limitations and then we place limits on God because of our limitations, because of our lack of knowledge, because we didn't go to uh, school, because we didn't do X, Y, or Z, or whatever it might be. We then place these limitations and expectations on God himself. And yet what we see through the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they continue to pray bold prayers. We don't know what these prayers were, but they were bold prayers for big doors to be entered in by a bountiful God. So often we just give up because we didn't meet our own expectations. We all, every single one of us, we are our own worst critics. Whether you believe it or not, I'm sure you are your own worst critic. You, we, we think about the things that we did wrong. We think about the things that we're not prepared for. We think about the ways that we're not trained to do whatever. And therefore we say we're not going to move in that way. We're not going to even give it up to God to move in that way. And yet what we see through Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they said continually, all the way to the point in time that an angel came to them and said, you are ready. Friends, are you willing to wait a lifetime in the midst of limitations, pains, struggles, losses, insecurities, in order for God to build a door in your heart for him to then walk through to do something amazing in your life? And are you okay if you never see the fruit of it? Zechariah and Elizabeth would not see the fruit of what they did by raising John. Zechariah wasn't the main guy. And he had to be okay with the fact that he was going to raise this son who would then go on and prepare the way for the Lord. In the story of good versus evil, Zechariah had a tiny part. And yet without him, it wouldn't have happened. How are you praying through your limitations. Bold prayers are big doors for a bountiful God. Excuse me, for a bountiful God. How are you praying through your limitations? And here's why, as we finish then with this last portion of scripture, here's why I believe that, well, I don't think Zechariah was playing for a child at this point in time. Starting in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's a very polite way of saying she's old. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had, been, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. Friends, he immediately, here's why we know this. If Zechariah had been praying for his son all this time, and Gabriel shut up and said, hey, here's your son, he'd be like, about time. But instead he said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. How could this, what? How is this possible? There's no way. And even despite the fact that Gabriel showed up out of nowhere in front of him, he still doubted what was being told to him. Zechariah wasn't praying for a son, as far as I can see. But he was praying bold prayers. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth had spent their entire life praying for a son and when it was no longer logical or possible we see God on the move again even though Zechariah had been praying these bold prayers he himself still wasn't exactly ready for what God was going to do and God would then use Zechariah over the period of nine months to prepare his heart to raise this son in order to prepare the way for the Lord Friends, this story, as we are going to read through the book of Luke Luke, for the next several months, this story, it's all about a God who makes a way to restore loss, to reconcile pain, and to redeem the results of evil. He wants to redeem our limitations. He wants to take your insecurities, your pains, your losses, your physical pain, your emotional pain, your mental anxiety, he wants to take it and redeem it and use it in ways that you cannot begin to even understand. Or to envision for yourself. Zechariah wasn't envisioning having a son at an old age. And yet God comes and he does the very thing that he would never expect God to do. Friends, today, as we begin in this story, the most epic story ever told in the entire world. And as we begin to understand that you and I have a role in this. I would ask you today, how do you resonate with Zechariah and Elizabeth? So often we go throughout our days and we might even say, well, Justin, I don't believe I have a limitation. Friend, you do have a limitation and there is something in which you need to grow in. How are you meditating and reflecting on it? Satan would have you believe that you are just moving along and you're doing everything you need to do. We need to become aware of the things that are holding back us back from living into our fullest potential for God. How are you praying through this? In the midst of not being ready, in the midst of needing to be silent, Zechariah's heart had been prepared through a lifetime of prayer, so that over the course of the next several months, he would be ready for God to enter into that door. So often, we say, "God close this door, God open this door. God close this door. God open this door. Friends today, I'm encouraging, I'm challenging you. Will you open a door? for God we spend a lifetime of praying allowing God to build a bigger door in your heart for him to move in ways that you cannot begin to fathom or imagine knowing that you may never see the fruit of your influence but trusting the entire time that God is moving in and through you we each have a very specific role friends a life of closed doors A life of limitations, a life of us considering things to be unfair, a life of us considering things to be unjust, a life of saying, God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? A life of all of this can lead to a life in which we miss out on our role that God has cast for us. It can lead to a life of bitterness and resentment. And friends, if we are not available to God, it won't be God that closed the doors on us. It'll be us who closed the door on God. Zechariah and Elizabeth spent a lifetime of refusing to close that door for God to move through them. A lifetime for that one great opportunity. Are you okay? Will you be okay? And praying through and allowing God to open that door for a lifetime, knowing that God wants to use you. He wants to use you and me in a very, very specific way. And you might be thinking to yourself today, Justin, you don't know me. You don't understand where I've been. You don't understand where I'm going. I don't need to know you. I don't need to understand you. It's not me who's casting the rules. Praise God. God is the one who's looking at each and every one of us. Would this be the season? The season of Advent as we read about hope and as we're reading about peace and joy and love and our savior, the greatest hero of all time, Jesus Christ, would this be the time in which we dive into the story, we dive into the prequels and we realize that you and I, we are the sequel. And the greatest story of good versus evil of all time, our God is a isn't spiting us with our limitations. He wants to redeem our limitations. He wants to move in ways that we could never imagine or expect. Would this season of Advent be the season in which you say to God, God, I want you to move through me, move in me. God, would you help build a door in my heart so that you would walk through it? May this be a season that we remember the goodness of our God. Let us not close doors on God, but allow God to open or to walk through the doors that we've opened for Him. Friends, today we are going to walk through Luke. We're not going to hit every single verse. We're not going to hit every single chapter. But I would invite you to read along with us. Next week we're going to be in the rest. We're going to be in the next portion of Luke one. Would you just read those verses? We're going to read about Mary. <laughs> you want to talk about unexpected? We're going to read about Mary and the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. Would you go and read that in preparation for next week? Would you begin to allow God to move through you through his word, through a life of prayer? Would the season of Advent be a season in which you say, God, I want you to move. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to move. He will move in the ordinary if we are ready for him in the ordinary. Father, we come to you today, and we love you, and we praise you. We thank you for everything you've done for us, casting the roles that you have for us. Lord, would you give us the courage, and would you give us the perseverance to look past ourselves and to see the things that are limiting us from living into our roles? Would you give us an understanding of what we need to do, what we need to see, what we need to hear from you? to understand how you will be moving in our lives. Father, we love you, we praise you. Be with us this week. I pray your hand of protection over all of us as we continue to dive into your word. We love you, we praise you. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Friends, before we leave, in the same way that we did for our last series, I wanna, we will be having a benediction And this week, I don't have it on the screens, but I would like to read it over you today before we go. This idea of allowing God to move in ways well beyond ourselves. This comes from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. This is our benediction for today. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. Be blessed. I hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.